and welcome to another episode of Saturday the 14th. I'm Maggie. And I'm Maddie. And we're here today to talk to you about a classic horror movie that Maddie has finally seen. I have. I can no longer uh, make jokes constantly about my ignorance and, you know, not watching movies. I guess there's still a lot of movies I haven't seen. Yeah, no, I think there's still room for that. Just this particular movie you've seen now. And I think that it's going to affect a lot of things uh, on this podcast moving forward now that you've seen it. I will say it's the, I've heard it's the the happening thing around town, is this movie. Yes, we're talking about The Happening. Just kidding. We're not. That movie was terrible. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Oh hey, my god. there's a movie I haven't seen. Oh my god. That's fine. The Happening is bad. <laughs> okay, good. Um, however, what I now have seen is The Thing. Woo! Which is like the most generic title of a movie ever. It is, but I think it works. It does. It's like thing one and thing two and, sort of uh, there's a cat wearing a hat and no. uh, there's a goldfish no. that gets dropped at no. some point it's a different movie <laughs> um but there are things in that that's true they are different things well actually you know what we don't know that they're different things those actually things just could be the thing from this movie <laughs> but in a very different setting no we're talking about the uh 1982 antarctican classic Yes, this movie, Antarctican. The yeah, I think so. Antarctic and Antarctic. I like Antarctican. Okay, we'll go with that. Great. You know what? There is a surprising lack of in uh, this movie. What penguins? Where the fuck were all the penguins? There are penguins in Antarctica. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, there are no polar bears, but no. there are penguins. Well, maybe the penguins live in a different area because of all the noise from the encampments. Mm. They don't like it because the people always try to pick them up and touch them. Is there anything else that lives in Antarctica? I don't know very much about Antarctica at all. I know a lot about the Arctic. There are Arctic okay. foxes. Yeah. There are seals. Yeah. There are polar bears. Sure. You got any other uh, Arctic animals to list for our listeners? Hares. They're Arctic hares. Okay, that's they're fun. They're white in the winter and brown in the summer. Okay. Because they need to hide in with their surroundings. Well, you know what animal does apparently live in Antarctica? The uh, thing. <laughs> huskies? Uh, I think they came with a group, but, you know. But, I mean, according to this movie, huskies do live there. Or they can survive there, there, rest there in peace. like humans do. Yeah. All right. So let's get on into this. Yeah. Um, so this movie, as I mentioned, came out in 1982. And as you may know, it was directed by John Carpenter. Um, it was written by Bill Lancaster, who's actually Burt Lancaster's son. Um, who's Burt Lancaster? I want everyone to know that immediately before this, Maddie tried to say um, Kurt Russell's name and she called him Kurt Reynolds. So that's just like the level of uh, like I'm 19 so tired. Like older male actors that we're working with here. Uh <laughs> Uh, Burt Lancaster is, is also a famous actor. Um, but his son, Bill Lancaster, wrote this, and it's based off of the novel, uh, the novella, Who Goes There? by John W. Campbell Jr. Um, better or worse name than The Thing? Uh, I think that it would have fit this really well. Like, I know that the reason that it's called The Thing is because the 1951 version was called The Thing from Another World, and so this is like an abbreviation of that. Mm, I did not know that. But I think that the name Who Goes There actually really would have worked for this perfectly fine. You learn something every day. Oh, my God. This is going to happen all... This is your fault, Maggie. Yeah, this is a very low you bar this for movie. you to make puns for, so... <laughs> um, but it stars Kurt Russell, not Kurt Reynolds. Nope. Uh, Wilford Brimley of Diabetes fame. T.K. Carter... David Clennon. And Keith David. Yeah. I love it when people have two first names as Keith, their name. I think it's so funny that Kurt Russell and Keith, Keith David, both who have two first names, are like the two major stars of this movie. Oh, shit. I forgot that Russell's a first name. It is. I don't think I've ever met anyone with the first name Russell. I had a math teacher in middle school named Russ. So I assume his real first name was Russell. All I can think of is Russell Brand. That is literally the yeah. only Russell I can name. That works. Russell Crowe. His name is Russell Crowe. Yeah. Shit. 
What a day full of revelations we're having. <laughs> Guys, I'm so tired. Okay, uh, but this was made for $15 million. Yeah, and this one, as we'll discuss later, was really not much of a success. No, people did not like it when it they came out. They didn't, and it also was up against a major competition, which we'll also get into later, but it only made $19.8 million. So still more than it was made for, but when you include, like, marketing budget and all yeah, that. it's mm. probably not making a profit. Although, in the overall scope of things, it has certainly made a profit, what with everything around it, you know. With everything around it. Oh, my God. I'm never going to stop. Nope. So this movie starts with kind of a weird scene, which is just a spaceship flying towards the Earth. And yeah. I always forget that part is there. It's just really random and weird. Yeah. It's just like aliens. Like it makes sense in the whole narrative, but I don't know that it needed to be there. No, it was completely unnecessary. Yeah. But I guess you don't know that you're dealing with an alien otherwise. I feel like you could figure it out. But then all of a sudden, uh, we come to Antarctica in yeah. 1982. It's 1982. It's really cold. Yeah. And then uh, you're just watching this and all of a sudden there's a mountain in the background that just starts moving. And then there's a helicopter in front of the mountain. I think it's like a sweeping shot. I think it's a camera movement, but you can't tell because... I what, uh Paul's theory was that it was just like a still shot or that they had like recorded it in the background. And it, so it was actually just like... An, mountain overlay and they were moving uh, something in the background because we were watching it like it's very clear there's a mountain in the background just moving in a way it shouldn't be and i was like oh man is the earth gonna open up and then there's just a helicopter there yeah and that makes just sense. bad special effects i'm pretty sure this was all shot like on lots in hollywood so yeah. i wouldn't be surprised if that's the case well no do they use real dynamite to blow things up on lots in hollywood I don't know. They might have in the early they might 80s. Have. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so anyway, uh, mountains moving in the background. And then there's a helicopter. Yeah, and the helicopter is chasing a dog who is just bounding on through he the snow so like a beautiful happy. baby. He's just like running. He has this huge smile on his face. He is because he's scheming. Yeah, He's, he's making evil plans. Evil dog. Yeah. Best actor in this movie is this dog. Yeah. And so there's a helicopter that's like trying to follow the dog and shoot the dog, but it can't quite get them. And so then we flash to inside of the... Um, the American base in Antarctica. There's a science base in Antarctica. Yeah, and there's a guy, uh, Kurt, Kurt Russell, Russell, who is playing chess against a computer, and then it beats him, and he gets angry at it, so he pours whiskey on it. He does. Um, that's probably an incredibly expensive piece of equipment, seeing as it is a computer in 1982 that is accompanying a like team of scientists to the uh, Antarctic. Yeah, but, probably. Yeah. Um, so they start to notice, like, he and the rest of the, the uh, crew in the base start to hear kind of the hubbub outside, and they go outside to see what's going on. And uh, the helicopter is now circling the camp, and it keeps, like, throwing grenades at the dog. Yeah, and everybody else is like, all the Americans are like, what is going on here? This is so weird. Why do they want to kill that dog? And it's like the, the helicopter lands, and the guy gets out of it and he goes to like throw a grenade forward but and he puts his arm back he accidentally throws it behind him then it blows up and it kills him and everyone on the helicopter so like good job yeah and the dog is like running towards the americans and like licking their faces and jumping up on them but the whole time the other guy is yelling something at them but he's yelling it they're norwegian so he's yelling it like in norwegian yeah um but basically what he's saying is that's not a dog that's not a dog it's a thing oh mm-hmm. they don't translate it if you nope. don't have subtitles on. they don't spoilers yeah um, but you know, spoilers for that's, <laughs> well, that's this, the whole point of the what podcast. We're doing. <laughs> we spoil things for you. Sorry. Um, um, but yeah, the Americans are all worried about the Norwegians. Like, what the fuck's wrong with them? Why are they trying to kill this dog? Yeah. So they decide to go check out the Norwegian camp and make sure that everybody's okay and kind of like let them know what happened to their helicopter full of people who blew themselves up. Spoiler alert: They're not okay. No, they're not. So um, Kurt Russell, whose name is R.J. McCready, in this McCready. Um, yeah. What a name. Uh. He gets called Mac a lot. Um, he takes them up, uh, and he's worried about the conditions because he thinks it's going to be like whiteout conditions. But he takes them over there anyway. Um, and it's not a great scene at the Norwegian no, camp. No, a lot of it's burnt down. There's a lot of, like, frozen corpses. They find one where it was a guy who'd, like, slit his own throat and then, like, died as he was bleeding out. And so you can just see, like, bloody icicle type things. Yeah, it's fucked up. And um, while they're looking around, they find, like, this big block of ice. And the center is defrosted. And there's nothing in the middle, but it sort of looks like something was in there at some point. Um, why does it say ho, ho, ho in the outline? It's like, something was defrosted out of it. Ho, ho, ho. Wonder what that was. Um, but what they do find is, like, this fucked up looking burnt body. Um, and they're like, great, let's take this back to our base. Yeah, what? Why did they think that was a good idea? Well, 
so it has like sort of two heads. Yeah, they're like peeling apart from each other and like in yeah. a screaming thing. But like insides look okay. Yeah, they do the autopsy and find out that uh, the insides just look like normal and human, despite the fact it has two heads that are both like half of a head each kind of. Yeah. Which you'd think would add up to one head, but it doesn't. No, it's like more than half each. Maybe it's, it's like two thirds each. Yeah. And a lot of screaming. Freaky. It looks really weird. I cannot overstate how dope all of the special effects in this movie are. Like Other they're very the early eighties helicopter. But yeah, I mean that's a little more difficult. All of the like monstery special effects are awesome. Very cool. Yeah, that's true. Um all like the really practical, spooky, scary effects are super cool. Yeah. Um so they uh they decide to put the sled dog in with all of the other dogs in the station because they have like a bunch, you know, because they're in Antarctica, they need huskies. So they put him in the um in like the kennel. And at first the other dogs are like cool with it. It just like lays down and stares. Yeah. And then starts like shaking. And they all start freaking out and barking at it. And then like tentacles come out of its back. Yeah. And weird like spider leg things. Yeah. And it gets really gross really and it's quickly. Like attacking the other dogs just by its weird long tentacles and yeah, like it gets like really huge. spitting liquid and stuff on them it's it's yeah. a weird metamorphosis of some sort and so clark who is like the dog guy i guess he does other stuff too probably like starts freaking out and gets everybody else to come down um and childs who is played by keith david um attacks it with a flamethrower basically kills it ends up killing it with a flamethrower i don't think he fully kills he it. doesn't kill it because it kind of gets away. Yeah, and there's, like, it gets away, but then, like, he attacks, like, the other... Because the other two dogs also start to kind of get fucked up. Like, the other yeah. dogs that are in there start to get, like, taken over by it, basically. So he gets them as well. And so they, like, mostly get it, but not all the way. It's still out and about, still scooching around uh, inside. But yeah. they take the, um, like... What they do have. Fucked up dog bits, and they look at that as well. And so Blair, who is their doctor... Um, looks it over and he he realizes that basically what it's doing is that it's learning how to imitate other organisms. So, like, if they'd gotten to it later, it would have looked like a dog. But it's not all the way a dog yet. Well, I mean, it was a dog. It just wasn't it the was other It was a dog. Dogs. Then it was turning into the new dogs and it wasn't all the way to the new yeah. dogs. So it looks like these gross, like, basically it looks like a skinned dog. Mm. It's really fucking gross. Um, and so th- while they were uh, at the Norwegian... Uh, camp, they grabbed some data about, like, where they'd been working, and so they actually know where the site is that they'd, like, dug this thing up. Yeah. So they decide to go check it out, a handful of them. Mm-hmm. And what they find is, like, a giant-ass spaceship. Yep. The spaceship we saw in the beginning. Yep. Um, and then, like, a little dig site that's, like, humanish sized Yeah. So they're like, okay, some weird ship... Some weird shit is going on here. They realize that basically what they think happened is that the alien ship crashed, and then the alien froze. And then the Norwegian crew dug it out of the ground, and then it, when exposed back to, like, normal warmth, it defrosted, and now it's going around trying to, like, mess stuff up for everybody. And they realized that since it can turn into other organisms, it can effectively replicate anybody on Earth and kill them and take over and spread. Yeah, and... Uh... They also do, like, an estimation as to how long the spaceship has been there. Mm-hmm. And based on, like, the level of the ice and the way the ice has been, like, being pushed, like, old ice has been being pushed up, chances are the ship's been in the ground for, like, 100,000 years. Yeah. So this thing's been dormant for a hot sec. Or, yeah. or a cold second, as ha-ha. you might say. Ha-ha. So then shit starts to get really weird on the base. Yeah, things get funky. Um. We're not going to talk about every single person because there's, like, a lot of people involved in this movie. Um, but there's a guy named Bennings who's the first person who gets, like, taken over by the thing, basically. Um, but Windows, who is the, like, um, communications guy, I guess. I think yeah, he's I called think Windows because so. he has big glasses. Like, he's always wearing shades. I know what? I never figured out who was... I figured out who McCready is. I figured out who Childs was. I figured out... So the doctor got, with the big glasses. Yeah. And that was about what I figured out in terms of names. That's because, fair. like, there's a lot of people. And they're all men. And, like, a couple of them look alike. Especially yeah. when they have, like, their big snowsuits on. It's just, like, a tall white dude with a big beard. And, like, okay. I don't know which one of them that is. Because there are, like, three. Um, so it gets a little confusing occasionally. Yeah. And they all have, like, three names each. 
There's <laughs> Mac. He's McCready. He uh, sometimes he's called by his first initials or something. I don't know. Yeah. Just the point is that it's there's confusing. a lot. It is confusing, and they are all men, which is also confusing. Um. So basically, Bennings is getting like taken over by the thing and windows like comes in and sees it like getting all tentacly up on his business so basically bennings um is taken over by the thing windows like finds him and it's like oh shit and then mccready burns him to death with a uh flamethrower which is how they kind of like an alien actually is how they mostly take out the alien yeah there's i think a lot of commonality between this and alien that makes sense um and meanwhile, as, like, McCready is burning this, like, Bennings thing combo, uh, Blair's been having, like, a crisis. Dude, he's not doing great. No, so he has figured out that, like, he's done a bunch of math and has figured out that uh, if the thing gets to civilization, it would destroy the entire population, like quickly yeah. i think that he estimates it's like 300 something days or 400 something days and so it's like about a little over a year it would take yeah. before like all life on earth would end so he's like losing it like he's running around he's slamming he's smashing shit up he kills the sled dogs he destroys all of their vehicles yeah and the team is not happy about this no i kind of get where he's coming from though because like the whole time he's doing it he's yelling about how like you don't understand like uh, you don't understand how bad this is. Nobody understands how bad this is. Like, none of you guys get it. We have to do what we have to do. And so they're like, okay, you're going to go out to this little shack and just stay there because you're a danger right now. So you're going to go there. We're going to leave you there. We'll be back. Um, so Copper suggests that they go ahead and test each member's blood and they can use the original samples and then check the new samples and see how they look. Right. However, oof, the thing has already thought of this. And so they go to check on the blood samples and they're all gone. Yeah, like they're destroyed. Been destroyed. They've been like squeezed out basically. Yeah. And so uh, Gary doesn't have so much trust in them anymore. No. And there's like, well, Gary, there's like a whole meltdown with Gary because Gary has been in charge and they're still kind of like deferring to him. And Windows has like a full on meltdown and like grabs a gun and is like, he could be one of the things. We could be one of the things. Nobody knows who's a thing. And McCready is like, basically talks them both down. Like Gary has a gun pointed at him and Windows has a gun pointed at Gary. And so McCready talks them both down and gets them to put down their weapons and is like, all right, I'm in charge. You guys can't deal with your own shit. So I'm big boss man for the time being. Yeah. Um. And so they keep looking around because they're trying to figure out, like, if they can find the thing, if they can find any more, like, evidence as to what's going on. They want to, like, keep an eye on everybody. And they find Fuchs's burnt corpse outside. Fuchs is another one of the guys in this crew. And so they find it and they're trying to figure out why, like, if he was burnt alive by someone else or if he did it to himself. And they figure that he must have done it to himself because he was afraid that he would get assimilated and he didn't want that to happen to himself. I mean, you can see that in the uh, Norwegian base. Like, we saw a lot of yeah. people who'd killed themselves in yeah. very violent ways for and the like, same reason. when they go out to talk to um, Blair after he's been put up in his little tiny cabin, he has, like, a noose there. Like, he's basically ready to go. Like, he's yeah. also very nervous about the whole situation. Um, and he'd actually told him to keep an eye on Fuchs. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and then Fuchs dies. Um, and then... So they, they're out there looking at Fuchs's body and McCready is like, okay, well, we have to go up to my little shack because he has like a separate shack away from everybody else. And they're like, well, why do we have to do that? And he's like, well, yesterday when I left the shack, I turned the lights off and it like pans up to the shack and the lights are on. They're like, oh shit, something's up there. So um, McCready and Nulls, who is, I think, the cook, go up to check out McCready's little shack and uh, we don't see them come back together because Nulls abandons McCready out in the shack. There's a snowstorm and he finds like ripped up clothes, which is something that happened to like all of the previous people. Like they think that when the thing takes you over, it sh like shreds your clothes as it's bursting out of you. Yeah. And they're like kind of ripped up, charred, like grayish clothing. Yeah. Like it looks bad for McCready. It does. And they're like, okay, so what are we going to do now? Like, are we going to let him back in? Are we going to kill him? Childs is like, okay, well, if he's not a thing, that's a bummer. But if he is a thing, we have to keep him out there because otherwise he'll kill the rest of us. Um, but McCready manages to get inside anyway. And he comes in with a big thing of dynamite. Yeah. And he's like, if you come near me, I will blow you up. 
<laughs> basically. Yeah, and so he's like holding him. He's planning to, or he's threatening to like blow the entire place up. Yeah. And as a part of this, uh, Norris then has a heart attack. Or seemingly has a heart attack. Yeah, something starts to happen. And so they're like, okay, this is bad. So Copper, who's the existing, the, like the remaining doctor now that Blair is locked up elsewhere. There's a lot of doctors. It's a science lab. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people are doctors. Copper, you can identify by the fact that he has a nose ring. He does. He's like a 70-year-old man in 1982 and he has like a hoop nose ring. Um, I feel like he needed a slightly smaller ring so it didn't fit his face super well. It didn't. It could have been cuter. But it was the early 80s. I but feel like looking. middle-aged men no, didn't I have a lot it. of nose ring options. Uh, probably true. But so as a copper is attempting to, de- to defibrillate Norris and do like a CPR thing, um, Norris's chest like bursts open. Yeah. And no then mouth. it bites off copper's arms. Yes, and Copper dies. Yes. And then, like, Norris's head, like, rips itself off of his body. It gets, like, really big and, like, kind of... Yeah. Also, um, fun fact about that scene, they actually used a double amputee, someone who had both of his uh, arms amputated um, right, like, above or right below the elbow uh, in order to film that. Yeah, I mean, it looks very realistic. I mean, he he (laughs) lost his arms. So it works. Um... And so McCready is, like, trying to burn up the Norris thing. Um, but its head pops all the way off. Yeah. And it starts, like, it grows little, like, spider legs and tries yeah. to, like, walk off. It, like, skitters away. And someone else sees it. And, and he, like, uh, McCready turns around and burns it up. Yeah. But they think that he is likely not the only thing here. Right. There's more to this and creepy, like, shapeshiftery. Right. And everybody, people think McCready might be... Obviously, they're still not convinced that he's not a thing. And so Clark, like, lunges at him with a knife, and McCready kills him in self-defense, which yeah. is, like, a bummer. But, you know. And so so basically, based off of the fact that the head of Norris ripped off and became its own separate deal, McCready is like, here's what's up. Every part of the thing is a thing. It's not just, like, one big thing and it's made of tissue or whatever. Every bit of the thing is a thing. So if you take its blood... He said, when a human bleeds, it's just tissue. But when the thing bleeds, each part of it still has the... Each part of the thing is its own individual thing, like every single small part of it. And so his theory is that if you take the blood from a thing and you hurt it in some way, that it will try to survive separate from the original source. Right. So, like, if you come at it with a hot needle, it'll still try to run away. Yeah. So uh, they go ahead and tie everyone down except for McCready. Yep. And they take start taking blood. Yep. And they put it in little containers, and they're going to petri poke, dishes. Yeah, they're going to poke at each part of it with like a hot piece of wire and see if it does anything. Oh man, I read so many conspiracy theories about this movie. Oh my god, there are a million, which we can talk about when it's over. But yes. the scene in particular has some like really fucking weird conspiracy theories. Especially, it's very tense because everyone is like staring at everyone else, and you can tell everyone thinks everyone else is the thing, and you're trying to like figure out, okay, is that person looking at that person because they're the thing and they don't want to be caught, or are they looking at that person because they think they're the thing and they don't want to like it's yeah it's, it's very just a lot of accusatory eyes at each other um but so uh they start doing it they start with clark i think the guy that mccready killed because he attacked him yes and and well but also mccready and the guy who gets tied up last because he does his own thumb yeah gary gary yeah Mm -hmm. um so they start with gary and mccready and clark who's dead and then they move on and they do each person individually and everyone passes except... Right. Except for Palmer. And it's interesting because they, they do Gary last and Gary has been like very edgy and weird. And so... Well, I thought they did Oh, they right. They do Child's last. Because Child's, Child's been is being very edgy like edgy and weird and yeah. like not happy about this whole thing. And so... Um, McCready is like, oh, yeah, okay, so we're pretty sure it's yours. We're going to do yours last, whatever. And, like, while he's talking about that is when he's testing Palmer's, and it, like, freaks out, and no one's expecting yeah. it to freak out. It's, like, no a one really thought it was good, be great jump scare. Um, but, yeah, his blood, like, turns into, like, an arm-type thing. Yeah. And it, like, attacks back. Yeah. And then he turns into just, like, a big monster. He, like, totally turns into the thing and, like, grabs windows and, like, devours him, basically. Yep. rip. Sorry, windows. And so McCready has to light them both on fire. Yep. And then, um, yeah, so everybody else is proven to be okay for the time being. And so what they decide to do is go test out Blair. Yes. Um, and they go to the shed and they open it up and the noose is hanging up and the floorboards have been ripped up now and there's like a secret tunnel underground. 
yes. And they're like, that's probably not a great sign. We probably should probably see not. what's going on with that. Um, and what he's been doing is building a little spaceship. Yeah, he's been like, his... he'd been uh, ripping parts out of the helicopters and stuff like that. And he's built a little mini spaceship. Yeah, and they're like, oh, great. That's probably bad. That's probably... I wonder if it's because Blair's turned into that thing. He's super infected. So they're like, okay, we got to blow this whole place up because it's out. And they figured that, like, okay, it's not going to be able to turn into them and get away. But Mm -hmm. what it can do is get back to a snowy place, kind of go back into hibernation. They know that a crew is going to come check on them when they haven't heard from them for a while. And it can, like, infect them and get out that way. And they're yeah. like, we can't let that happen. We just need to destroy everything here. Yeah. So they're like, okay. They get a bunch of explosives. And they go to, like, the bottom of the station. And they're going to blow the whole thing up. Yeah. So they have a whole shit ton of dynamite. Yeah. And then. So they're setting that up. And McCready is like, okay, Gary, go do something. Like, go set the thing down, like, this hallway. And basically Blair has snuck into this area as an infected thing. And he, like, sticks his... He gets to Gary and, like, sticks his fingers all the way into Gary's face. It's so weird. It's really, really weird. Um, and Nalls disappears. Nalls was supposed to have a really violent death scene, but they uh, eventually cut it. So oh, we don't see him that. die, but he does die. And so then Blair basically turns into, like, a super thing. Yeah, so there's, like, a dog head sticking out of the stomach that kind of looks like a weird creepy skin dog thing. There's, like, a human head on it. And there's, like, all these different weird body parts and tentacle-y things. And it's just, like, giant and gooey and gross. It is really disgusting. And so it destroys the detonator. It does. That they were going to use to set off all the explosives. And so McCready is forced to trigger the explosives himself with a stick of dynamite. Yeah, which, uh, also a fun fact about that is it's a real stick of dynamite yeah. that Kurt Russell actually threw. And when he gets blown back from the explosion, he's actually being blown back, back from the explosion yeah, that he so did not fully expect Like to an happen. expression on his face where he's like, oh, fuck. And that's like... It's a real expression. Yeah. Um, so he watches the station burn. He gets away and he sits up on a hill and he watches. Yeah. And he, like, there's fire all around. Um, and he's salt bundled up and everything, though. Yeah. It's not going to save him from, like, the negative temperatures no, outside. No. But, you know. And so Child shows up. Yeah. McCready is also just, like, sitting there drinking yeah. his, his he's whiskey. Drinking he's been drinking whiskey the entire, entire time. Yeah. And Child shows up and he's like, oh, I got lost in the storm when we were looking for Blair earlier. Like, my bad. And at this point, McCready's even like, it could be you. It could be me. It doesn't matter anymore. Neither of us are going to get out of here. We're both here. So if anything happens, the other one will just kill us. So yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, he offers the whiskey to Child, who takes a sip. And yeah. then McCready kind of like laughs to himself for a second. And yeah. They take the whiskey back. And, and they just both thing. sit knowing they're going to die. Or if one of them is infected, yeah. that they're going to go Have into to hibernation. Kill. Yeah. And that's the movie. That's the movie. I will say that, uh, so I've actually not read the synopsis. I didn't know how this movie ended. I didn't know anything about it before watching it. Um, and uh, I don't think I could have imagined quite what it was without seeing it. Like, us, just, we can describe it as much as we possibly can. Um, this is kind of like Dead Alive in the sense that unless you see it, you won't really be able to get the vibe. Yeah, it's a totally different thing. It's just a it's a fucking adventure of a movie, but it's really good. Highly suggest watching it. Yeah, it's a great movie. You should watch it. Pay the four dollars to watch it on Amazon. Yeah. Oh oh or it's free if you have stars, which we have. Right. I don't have that, so I had to pay four dollars for it. Actually Tim had to pay four dollars for it, but I will reimburse him. Paul buys all of my Amazon movies for me. Forward. We say like, okay, to close it out, we wanna thank our sources. This is so maybe we do at the very end rather than doing like a middle section. That's probably better. So that way they don't have like thirty seconds of just article titles in the middle of the episode. True, true. Okay. I will do you wanna just say like, hey, uh yeah. um, we'll I'm gonna say that sources. at the end at the end of it, so that I remember to cut the earlier yeah. part in there. Um and we can just say like that we're going to cite our sources later on. Okay. Um or uh, at the end of the episode, we'll be citing all the sources that we use, so be sure to listen. But uh, I'm just going to put it at the end before we say that the sign-off and next week thing. Cool. Um, all right. So it's a hell of a movie. It is a hell of a movie. And it has actually quite a bit of a history behind it. Like, Yeah, it really does. Which is interesting to me because it feels very original and it feels very 80s. But it's... It does feel super 80s. Um, the body horror is not... I don't know oh if boy. I've experienced a movie with body horror quite like this. Other yeah. than Dead Alive. 
Yeah, and this is obviously very different in tone than Dead Alive. Very different, but it's very <laughs> clear where like the inspiration came from. Yeah, that's one thing that I actually find really, really interesting, um, is that this is, I think, one of the first, or like the earliest mainstream horror movies I've seen that has that sort of weird, fucked up special effects thing to 100%, it. 100%, yeah. Um, which I don't know if that served it well at the time, but I like that about it. I think it's cool. I think it aged well. Definitely, absolutely. So um, this was originally based on the novella Who Goes There, like we mentioned earlier. Um, And that was originally published in the August 1938 edition of the magazine Astounding Science Fiction. And every time I read one of these things, I am so sad that we don't still have weird, corny sci-fi short story magazines. Uh, Maybe we should start one. Let's do it. Yeah. We know how to do that for sure, right? We can just start a a zine. I was a print design minor. Okay. I was a publishing. No, I was a publishing minor. Cool. You can be in charge of the zine. Done. (laughs) So after Who Goes There, there was another version of this movie, an earlier version of this movie called The Thing from Another World. I think it's a good good title. Right? Which is where the title The Thing comes from, as we discussed earlier. Um, And I watched The Thing from Another World a while back. How was it? It's interesting. So it was written by Howard Hawks, who also wrote Bringing Up Baby, which we talked a weird amount about in our previous episode, so if you want to hear I our... I will give you anything for love, baby. So if you want to hear our edited but still extensive thoughts about... <laughs> I had to cut, like, minutes of us talking about bringing up baby last It was week. such a good movie. It's a lot, and it was very off topic. <laughs> but it was entertaining. It was so just me it. trying to remember the entire plot. I cut a lot of you trying to remember all of the entire plot. Yeah, there was a lot of that it's that I didn't smart. know was necessarily relevant. But uh. it's probably smart. <laughs> um, so he was not like a sci-fi director, really. He was famous for witty Slapstick dialogue. comedy. And, yeah, like very clever, smart, funny, slick comedies, basically. And other stuff, but that, you know. Um... It's a very different movie from The Thing, and it's, from what I understand, pretty different from Who Goes There as well. So it's kind of more accurate to describe The Thing from Another World and The Thing as two separate movies with the same source material rather than a remake of a movie based off of the source material, Um, which is a very minor distinction and a very dumb, pedantic quibble. But I do feel like it kind of matters because... For example, the thing is much closer to the source material. Mm-hmm. Um, in the thing from another world, the monster doesn't shapeshift. It's just sort of like a big, like, plant alien. They call it like a giant carrot at one point in time. Like, it's not as scary. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like it. Um, not as scary by a long shot. And there's like a romantic subplot, and like there are female characters, and it's just not as tense as it is. Uh, there's a lot more settings and locations. Um, and I found a quote in one of the Den of Geek articles that I liked um, that was, that the Nivey Hawks adaptation took the skeleton of Campbell's story about scientists discovering an alien life form in Antarctica and made it into a monster movie chiller with James Arness as the hulking creature from outer space. Carpenter's The Thing, on the other hand, went back to the original story's most compelling idea, that of a creature which can transform itself into perfect imitations of the people around it. And I think that's what makes like that's what makes it scary. It right? is the real monster in this movie isn't the thing, but it's paranoia. Yeah, and that's like what makes it scary is not so much the fact that there's this thing trying to kill them, but that they don't know what's real and what isn't, and can't trust anyone around them, and then they all become monsters towards each other. Right, like and child's, that's much scarier. Or not child's. Um, yeah, I mean, child's yeah. gets really like into this whole thing. And is, like, very accusatory towards everyone, especially MacReady. Right. And Clark gets killed because he attacks MacReady. He's not the thing. It's proven later. And they're like, oh, so he killed an innocent guy. But, like, it's just, it happens to all of them. They get all so fucked up. And, yeah, I just, I think that's so much more interesting. And, honestly, it seems like that's something that Campbell, the writer, actually also kind of understood. There's a quote that I liked that was a quote that he himself said about the the 1951 version the thing from another world which was i have an impression that the original version directed and acted with equal restraint would have sent some 10 percent of the average movie audience into genuine no kidding semi-permanent hysterical screaming memes you think that story wouldn't tip an insipid paranoid psychotic right off the edge if it were presented skillfully and that's like what this movie is yeah 100 percent. like it freaked people out it's very scary <laughs> And I honestly forget sometimes how gory it is because that's not the scariest part to I, me. Uh, so I 
thought this movie was going to be different. I'll be completely honest. I thought yeah. the big twist at the end was the fact that it was the dog. I didn't realize that like mm. it turned out to be the dog pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I thought it was just going to be the paranoia. And then the end, they're all like killing each other and stuff like that. And at the end, you find like, oh, it was the dog. Only because right. all I knew about this was the fact that the dog was alien. Yeah. Only thing I knew going in. Mm-hmm. And so and I was like, that sounds like a really cool, like intense, like kind of like psychological thing. Mm-hmm. And then when like the dog started, like got tentacles coming out of it and started killing everything else. I was like, oh God, what is this movie? Yeah, it's different. And then like <laughs> the the cavernous mouth thing opening up in the middle of the body. Yeah. The uh, scene where like the head pops off and turns into a weird like creepy spider type thing. Like there's so much weird stuff that happens in this movie and I was not prepared for it at no, all. No, it's a very intense movie. I can imagine going into this movie and not being prepared for what was about to happen. Yeah. I, I understand I why it, it wasn't pretty... super well received at first. Yeah. What but were the trailers like? Like what I did they show? I would imagine very little. I feel I like imagine, they probably wouldn't show a lot of it. Yeah, because uh, they probably couldn't, honestly, because it was so, like, gory in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm curious. I would say probably by modern standards, they wouldn't show very much. I mean, I feel like monsters. now, if, if they were made to, if this movie was made today, it'd probably show more than that did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Just because trailers give away the entire plot these days. That's true. A lot of them do. They make me crazy. Um, But yeah. Um, And I kind of, I don't know. I thought a lot about this because like, I feel like it's weird that it got the weird negative reaction, which we'll get into in a second that it did. And so I was thinking about like other movies that came out around this time that it feels like it's influenced by or it's similar to. And one that I thought of almost immediately was Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is also a remake of a 1950s B-horror movie. Haven't seen it. That's okay. You should see the 1978 one. I should. Um, The 1956 one is good, but it's, like, very 1956 horror. Like, it's fun to watch for, like, having watched it. But, like, the 1978 one, I was astonished by how good it is. It's got a young, hot Donald Sutherland before he got super old. Just looking good. Dig it. Wearing some hats. It's good. Anyway. And it's it's a similar concept because, like, it's about a person and everyone around them. Their, you know, friends and the people that they know are getting turned into these monsters that have nefarious intentions towards Earth and they want to take over the whole Earth. And they But they're, like, in a city. They're not in, like, a, you know, isolated location. <clears throat> and I think that the main difference is that um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is not gory at all. And it got much better reviews. <laughs> like, way better reviews. Um, but so, And if you think about the movies that were coming out around this time, like a lot of them weren't super gory. That's true. Yeah. This was definitely kind of above and beyond in terms of gore. Because if, even if you think about the, uh, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which came out uh, almost 10 years before this, but that was considered gory at the time. That doesn't really have any gore whatsoever. Just no. a lot of, like, gross things are kind of insinuated. Yeah. Yeah, it's not actually visually violent. And that's, I think, again, that's like movies that came out around the same time are treated differently than this movie. And I think it is because of the gore. Because, like, you see similar themes in The Shining, where you have a group of people who are trapped in a remote location and somebody is slowly turning into someone that they're not really and there's Um, a violent threat. The trailers were not well received, if I remember correctly, for The Shining. And that just showed elevators with blood pouring out. That's true. I mean, in that sense, it's gory, but there's not actually... Yeah, but what I mean is, like, I don't think people liked the trailers for it, really. That's true, yeah. It worked. Um, People saw the movie, but, like, I don't think people loved it. got a little freaked out. Yeah. Um... And I feel like there's a, a similar vibe to Alien, like we 100%. talked about a little bit. One, that kind of goes the other way, though. There's like, another alien. Yeah. Two, they're hunted one by one, kind of. Yeah. And there's, like, a lot of infighting and stuff like that. Yeah, and there's the isolation aspect. There's... Kill it with fire. Yeah, there's even the doctor who's probably not who he says that he is. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that one is a little bit more gory than some of the others that we're talking about. So I feel like... But it's not It's crazy not gory, gory, really. No. I mean, other than the, the one scene with a chestburster. But, yeah. like, even then, it's just, like, there's a difference between, like blood and a thing popping out of someone's chest and like literally seeing body parts like come apart and look like kind of deformed yeah. and funky and gooey and like yeah. it's this is more than i've seen in any other movie really yeah it is pretty 
pretty intense. It's really cool. And the design is awesome. Like, the special effects are really well done. It's just, I was surprised. Yeah. And I think it's sort of interesting because I feel like at the time, some of the um, gore overshadowed, like, the themes of the movie. I can understand why, yeah. Because... I was honestly surprised because I started looking into this and I was looking through like the, like I have a collection of essays about um, horror movies by Robin Wood, who was like a film critic and and writer. Um, And there's a little short essay in the collection of essays I have by him on John Carpenter. And it starts out with, it seems to be generally agreed that after a promising start, John Carpenter's career has been, to date, singularly disappointing. Those who hailed Halloween, 1978, as at once fulfilling the promise of Dark Star, 1974, and Assault on Precinct 13, 1976, and definitively establishing Carpenter in the front rank of contemporary American filmmakers, cannot help but be dismayed and embarrassed by The Fog, 1980, Escape from New York, 1981, and The Thing, 1982. And then he, like, follows that up later by saying, Carpenter's reworking of Hawk's 1951 The Thing, the original is quoted on a television set in Halloween, suggests that he has reached a temporary bankruptcy, lacking a single, sympathetic, or even interesting character with whom to identify. The spectator merely waits for the next eruption, admittedly spectacular, of special effects. That's not what I was expecting to read. No. Because I didn't really realize how badly reviewed no, this was when it first No, people hate this movie. Out. Like... Everyone loves it now. This is, like, on the top of every, like, best horror films ever made list. This is, like, it's at, like, 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, people love this movie. I'm, I think there are a lot of things now that wouldn't exist without it. Um, I mentioned earlier, once or twice, that, like, Dead Alive, like, this is the first time I've understood why the hell Dead Alive exists. Yeah. Like, when I watched that movie and I hadn't seen the thing, I was like, "What? This is so over the top. I've never like, why does it like, what is happening here?" Right. And then I realized that the special effects in that were so similar, not as well done, but very similar in a lot of ways yeah. to the special effects in this. But this was taken seriously, and that movie is like, in a lot of ways, like a parody of the thing. But not having seen the thing, I didn't get it. Right. But again, it wasn't taken seriously at this point. Roger Ebert called it a barf bag movie and a geek show, a gross-out movie in which teenagers can dare each other, can dare one another to watch the screen. And Vincent Canby, who wrote for the New York Times, said, John Carpenter's The Thing is a foolish, depressing, overproduced movie that mixes horror with science fiction to make something that is fun as neither one thing nor the other. It qualifies only as instant junk. I don't get it. That's so weird to me. <laughs> I yeah. just, like, I want to be able to look at it. And, like, I did look at it, and I've, I've tried to think about it. It does almost feel like two different movies in a lot of ways. Yeah. Where there is the special effects, gross, over-the-top movie, and then there's the paranoia movie. And I'm not sure the special effects, because they're so over-the-top, are... Um, they almost do feel out of place at times, I will say, because the rest of it's supposed to be so serious and, like, a sense of, like, paranoia. And it's hard because it's a little hard to take the special effects seriously at times. That's true. And I kind of get that. I just, I don't know if it would be, I don't know. I guess a lot of movies at this point were like, you know, shadowy monsters where you don't see the whole thing and stuff like that. And you like see the whole thing in the thing. I you think know? maybe if parts of it were like slightly more realistic. Maybe. But then I think that'd be hard to do, especially in the 80s. Right. Um, but also I feel like if this were to be remade now. I think about it'd be probably be similar to like the new Evil Dead movie where it's like edgier and grosser, but it doesn't have like the same like kind of kitschiness to it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it wasn't like loved in the same way. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, we need to do an episode on Evil Dead, by the way. Yeah. Oh, my God. Maybe in the new year. We'll get to that one for sure. But I, I understand why people didn't like it. Watching it with fresh eyes. Yeah. Only knowing that the alien was the dog. I was like... A little confused at times. And there were like long stints without it. I, I understand why people didn't love it. I don't understand why people hated it. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, Carpenter talks about like people not liking the ambiguity of the ending. He said, I had the 16 year old ask me what happened at the end. Which one of them is this? Which one of them was the thing? I told her she had to use her imagination. She told me she hated that. So I realized I was in deep trouble with that film. And I was right. The industry turned against me because they thought I had gone too far with the gore. I think it probably changed my career, which it did. Um, and I guess there was an interview with Toby, with Kenneth Toby, who played the lead in The Thing from Another World, who also did not like this movie. (laughs) 
He said, I think it was him that said that he thought that it was basically just a JMB whiskey commercial, which is fair because he drinks JMB whiskey like he the drinks whole movie. it the entire movie. And he says, I also thought it was wrong for the ending to be so inconclusive instead of showing good winning out over evil. I don't think it was fair to do that to the audience. So I think maybe part of this is that audiences in the 80s weren't ready for that. I think that's very possible. They did actually film a second ending to this movie in which um, McCready is rescued on a helicopter mm. and they test his blood and he is not a thing and uh, he gets away and there's a happy ending for him. Hmm. Um, that was filmed because they thought the audiences would not react well to the ambiguous ending, but John Carpenter really stood by it and said, like, I really want this. It's just better that way. I agree that it is. Like, it feels, the whole movie is depressing. Then to have a happy ending would be weird. No, it would be very weird. Like, it's not a sacrifice if you're not ready to die to keep everybody else safe, you know? I think that that, I don't know, I like that about it. I do too. Um, I think, but we're also 20... 19 audiences that's true we are not we're used to a bleaker ending yeah yeah and audiences then like think about the other movies that all those movies you listed other than the shining no even the shining the family like the mom and the son get away that's true um in alien she ridley lives away. in halloween which john carpenter had in halloween which john carpenter had just made you have uh jamie lee curtis getting away that's also a very good point. Um, so we have all these horror movies that are really popular and everyone gets away. And I guess even with movies like Hereditary, which we're just going to mention in every single episode we make of this podcast Obviously. until we die, um, there was even some like, like it was very mostly well received, but there was somewhat controversial, like people who didn't like it really didn't like it for basically the same reasons, which is that the end is fucking depressing and also there's a ton of gore all the time in it. Like people are still kind of weirded out by that, but I guess maybe just through like a a lens from like 2019 is just not as scary like that stuff isn't as intense i don't know i mean if you think about the same thing as midsommar not yeah. everyone liked that ending that's true though she kind of got a happy ending mm, temporarily not. a happy ending probably not an actual happy ending unsure i feel like the rest of her life if she can kind of get a, uh, this is a con this is yeah. a, a conversation for another day yeah um but I think we are more used to, like, not always the happiest endings, but still, like, a lot of us root for them inside. Yeah, that's true. And, I mean, Though, it is a little sad to see them out, like, I do the- want to have a conversation about the ending of this movie. I've read so many theories. Yes. Oh, my God. We'll get to that. So, one of the things that I think, one of the reasons that I think that it's aged so well is that now we have all these gore movies and all these splatter movies, like, you know, Dead Alive and Evil Dead and, like, all these movies that have, like, The Saw gotten, franchise. Yeah. So, we can look back at it now, and we're not, like, super creeped out by... <clears throat> Also, we got to say, Rob Botton is the name of the special effects designer uh, for Rob this movie. Rob Botton. Who deserves a crazy shout out because, oh my God, he did so much He cool did shit. such good work. So now we can look back at this and we can sort of not be so shocked by those effects that we can look at the other themes of the movie. And there are a bunch of themes in the movie, which is another thing about reviews from this time that made me crazy. They're like, oh, the characters are nothing. There's no themes. There's no plot. There's no point to it. Which, like, there's lots I just of all don't of that. agree with that. Like, the first scene is, like, Nalls on his little roller skates scooching around his kitchen and like, I like basically so much. I loved him he was I liked so great when the other guy told him to turn down his music and he turned it up instead and just kept roller skating around i love him i was kind of happy that i didn't have to actually see him die on screen because i really liked him and i didn't want him to die but there are all these themes in it <clears throat> like um this was made in 1980s so a movie that's largely about a group of people not being able to know whose side their friends are on during the cold war is like such an obvious thing to me like this was released during like the aids crisis and a major plot point is a deadly infection that can be identified by a blood test like they don't even seem subtle so the fact that people miss them is like they must have been so focused on all the other shit that was happening that they couldn't I will be honest I did not think about either of those in watching this at all I mean I didn't really either but like we also like, weren't living in the 80s at the time. Right. And, like, I don't know, film critics are supposed to think about things like that. That's true. Like, if you're a film critic, you need to be able to look at themes and, and like, identify what the themes are probably going to be and, like, think about it a little and don't just be like, oh, a dog was gross, so this movie sucks. Like, yeah. that's stupid. <laughs> and there's also, like, a, I mean, this is a very 2019 approach, but the toxic masculinity aspect of this shit. Oof. Like, yeah. there are no women in this whole movie. It's Which really funny was a turnoff. that we went from a movie with all women to a movie with all men. That is a good point. And I didn't even realize that. I didn't either. Oh, that's funny. It is. 
I'll be honest with you. I have a difficult time watching movies that are all men. Yeah. I zone out a little bit. Yeah, same. I'm like, this is probably not going to be relevant to my interests. But... I mean, it was good, but also it was just, like, a bunch of men, like, this is very, like, Lord of the Flies-y, where yes. it's, like, if you had, if the same exact story from Lord of the Flies, same exact setup, that would just not happen. But I do think that it's interesting in this one, because it, when you look into it a little bit more, it's not, like, a normal, we forgot about women type of movie, which no, I feel like, like a lot of decision. movies that don't have women in them are like, oh, would there be a woman in this world? Like, oh, shit, I forgot that they exist. Like, this one is about... Like, there's so much stuff about, like, lack of emotional intimacy that, like, men at this point in time struggle to form between each other. Yeah. Like, that, like, so there's this all-male cast. It's a very paranoid environment. There's this fear of being not a man. You're being something else, which can be interpreted as, like, a fear of being, like, unmanly or not masculine or gay or something like that. And one of the quotes from the Vice article that I liked was, the thing is not a promotion or a projection of manliness so much as it's a scathing examination of it. It is about male frailty. In a a film where intimacy, confession, and empathy are the only ways to out the monster, we, at first, find our characters trapped in their pride and stunted emotional growth, literally unable to confront what is at hand for fear of embarrassment or exposure. The thing is the collapse of masculine spaces by way of masculinity's falseness. That is interesting. Yeah. When you were... uh... When I saw the list of articles that you cited, and I was like, what the hell is this article saying? Um, oh, yeah, the, like, what it loses by adding women. Yeah. I was That's... like, this is, one, a uh, weird title. Yeah. Two, some of the thing. Like, basically, the point of that article is, like, they added a woman, and she was able to empathize with, like, like in the, the remake or the prequel. Yeah. Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character. Like is able to have emotional interactions with men and, like, open up and be vulnerable with people. So she figures out who people are a lot quicker because she actually knows, like, how their minds work because she actually talks to them, which, like, the men don't really do in this movie. (laughs) Which I do think (laughs) is uh, a really good point. There's also a line that I liked that pointed out, like, when a man... When, like, a woman is sizing up a man, that's, like, a normal thing to see because, like, women are constantly trying to interpret whether or not men around them are threats. Yeah. Versus a man having to, like, closely inspect another man to, like, size them up. It's like, oh, you're, like, suspicious of me or is there, like, weird tension between us? Like, it's just a different vibe. That's true. Which I think is very interesting. Yeah. I did think it it felt a little weird. There was literally no women in this movie. But also, like, I I get – I think it accomplishes something special because of that, honestly. Yeah. Um, it was just very interesting. It was. I think it's kind of interesting how, like, yeah, like, when we were talking about The Descent, like, that's very focused on, like, the dynamics of female friendship, and this is, like, focused on the dynamics of weird male competitive coworker relationships. Yeah, but even then, like, a bunch of the stuff that happens in The Descent is caused by... It's female friendships, but when, like... The man a relationship with the man is like an instigating factor. Right, a bunch that's of it. true. Yeah, that is a good point. There's still. Yeah, much I did more read of a an article presence. a couple of years ago about like Lord of the Flies and how like it was specifically a commentary on toxic man- masculinity. Yeah, and how like they very specifically made it all men because they knew that if women were there, that just wouldn't happen. Right. And I thought that was really interesting, and this is kind of similar where I could see that where they add Mary Elizabeth Winstead in the new one and just is completely different. Yeah, it's a totally different vibe, and you have like your weird McCready who's like as the Atlantic article puts it, is heroic precisely because he is the most paranoid and the least subject to emotional attachment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which, I mean, he and Childs are the most aggressive. They are. And so it's sort of like this weird masculinity situation fucks them all over, but also they're so good at surviving in that weird masculine environment that they also win. So uh, speaking of Childs and uh, McCready, can we now talk about the ending of this movie? Absolutely. Oh my God, because I read some great theories. Um, one is that the uh, the virus of the thing or whatever the infection is caused by like bodily fluids, and that like the dog licks McCready's face and then he like immediately drinks out of his whiskey. So everyone he passes whiskey to throughout oh. the movie. I don't know for sure that this is true, but the entire time he actually has been the thing, right? And then when he does the blood test, he either fakes it with someone else's blood or because he is attacking himself because it was a part of him that it wouldn't react in the same way. Oh. And then, like, when he passes the bottle to Childs at the end, he's actually infecting Childs. That is one uh, Reddit theory that I read. I'd read the one where it's gasoline. Yes, and that is the other one that okay. I read where it's uh, full of gasoline. He's basically killing himself by drinking it, and he passes it to Childs, and Childs drinks it and doesn't realize. However, 
um because there's that line like are you fucking kidding and like if the it can bring memories if it can like interpret someone's memories and like say a sentence that they would say clearly mm-hmm. yeah that maybe it would be able to recognize the taste of whiskey. that is a good point um so and then the other one is that like they're both just not yeah. So there's a bunch of theories. My favorite one was the uh, the passing around of the bottle. I though. do I like thought that. that. Was super I kind of want to rewatch it now and see if... Does everybody drink from the bottle? Um, I don't think everyone does, but some of the people mm. who die do. Um, also, there's a weird lighting technique they did um, to make it look like the person's eyes are like kind of like lit up a little bit more if they were infected. I want to rewatch it and like look... If you watch the scene where they're all tied up, like the people who have like kind of like a more of a light in their eyes are the ones who are infected interesting and there's a couple other small things like that like little tricks that they did and it's really cool i feel like this is one of those movies that you could watch a thousand times and like pick up on something new every time probably which i like i like i know i was just trying to follow along and take notes and all that jazz when i was watching it and i was sleepy i'm always sleepy at this point in my life i don't know why i feel you but it was really enjoyable. I can no longer tell everyone I've never seen the thing. Right. I'm so happy for you. I guess I could still tell people that. Just be a lie. <laughs> That's true. But yeah, the ending of this is really good. And it makes it I like, think so. Which is sad because like audiences, like God, you mentioned, flop. did and not I, like it. We talked about this earlier. E.T., we might have said it earlier in the podcast. Not 100% sure. E.T. came out the same time as this. Like the same weekend, I think. Yeah, it came out like at almost the exact same time. So like... That was like a PG-rated, cute they alien like, movie. Yeah, the happy alien movie. And they have the really fucked up alien yeah. movie. So E.T. did really well. And then there was direct competition. Because like, oh, are you going to go see the cute alien movie that your kids can go see? Or are you going to go see the fucked up, weird, tense alien movie where a dog explodes? Like, people went and saw E.T. And also that summer, Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, Poltergeist, and Blade Runner came out. And this was also, like, not, like, we know that Alien came out a couple of years before this, but, like, people were still in the Star Wars hype and all that jazz. Like, yeah. people wanted to see happy aliens. They did. Like, even Blade Runner was a flop. Like, which is, I think, funny because I would say, I mean, like, obviously E.T. is, like, a big deal, but, like, critically, I would say Blade Runner and, um... You've never seen Blade Runner? Is that the face you're making? I've never seen Blade Runner. I will tell you a fact about myself and Blade Runner, which is I have tried probably four times to watch Blade Runner, and I have fallen asleep almost immediately every single time. Oh, my God. We need to do it together. Let's make a drinking game out of it, so that way we stay awake. No, that makes it worse. You get sleepy because it's slow. Blade Runner is a very slow movie. Every time you're bored, take a drink. Then you will fall asleep because you will chug. It's a good movie. (laughs) Blade Runner 2049 is great. Anyway, haven't seen that one either. That one's really good. I'm I liked the uh, the marketing for it. It was pretty. And it neon. is. It's very pretty. There's a lot of boobs in it. I have no problem with boobs. I like boobs. No, it's like a, a couple of them feel like they don't need to be there plot-wise, but it's fine. It, it's not like a Usually they're not a strong plot device. Yeah. Boobs, I definitely I mean. came away from it feeling like it took the director like a while to see a boob, and he was like making up for last time. <laughs> but that's not important. I like it. Um, but yeah, this movie did not do well. No, and the it thing, did so, I mean. yeah, it did so badly that John Carpenter was actually supposed to direct Firestarter and got pulled from directing Firestarter. Oh, hard yikes. Though it probably would have been better oh, God, if he it had. Been so much better. Can you imagine Firestarter made by John Carpenter? Firestarter sucked. It might have had a plot. Like, I think we can say this now that we have a little space from having put that episode out. Oh no, out. Firestarter that was movie so was bad. bad. I did not like that movie. No, it was not good. It had its moments, but they were few and far between. There, I think there's one person who contributed to this movie that we have yet to mention, who is Ario Morricone. Oh, Ario Morricone for sure. He Okay, so John Carpenter usually does his own scoring for his films. Mm-hmm. He did not this time, and he got Ario Morricone, who I uh, became familiar with because he did some of the music for Inglorious Bastards, and there's that, that song at the very end that's just, like, so good. And so mm-hmm. I looked up the soundtrack and learned who he was and listened to the Inglorious Bastards soundtrack a lot. And he's just, like, a really good composer. Oh, he's amazing. He did The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Mm-hmm. He's incredible. He does a lot of, like, western type yeah, things. Yeah, he actually did the uh, score for The Hateful Eight. Yes, he Tarantino did. Tarantino movie, which Tarantino cites The Thing as an influence on that movie because hey. it's largely focused on... Uh, a paranoia little group yep getting paranoid with each other in a very cold environment yeah i remember i actually read that too yeah um it's super interesting how it all comes full circle Dude. but uh, amazing music amazing yeah. special effects there are actually so many movies that were in- influenced by these special effects like have you seen it chapter two yet yeah 
You know the scene where the uh, head, like, grows the legs and Richie goes, you've got to be fucking kidding me? Like, when they're in the house and, like, yeah. the spider legs burst out of the head. Oh, my God, yes! That's literally, like... No, that's actually something that happens in this movie. That's and then a direct that's reference line. to this. Yeah. I didn't realize that because I hadn't Bill seen Hader this before. Bill was like, can we say that line here? Because it would work really well here. It's like the thing. And so they let him do it. That's awesome. And then in, like, I guess the third Tomb Raider game, like, it takes place on a base in Antarctica and there's, like, a spider with a human head. The new one? No, it looks old. I haven't yeah. played it, but based off of the image I saw online, I know that there's like a bra. somewhat recent uh, Tomb Raider game that I think she was wearing like a snow parka y type thing. Mm. So like that'd be cool. Yeah, but also it sounds also like an old one. It doesn't sound like something that would happen in the new no. Tomb Raider series. Resident Evil Four has tentacle dogs in it. Oh, that's awesome. Um, have you seen The Faculty? I don't think I have. I think my coworker keeps telling me to watch The Faculty. But there's a scene where they, like, they think everybody, they're, like, people are being invaded by aliens as well. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene where they all have to snort, like, a drug that the aliens are allergic to to see if they have a reaction to. And it's, like, the same exact scene as the blood testing scene. They're, like, all sitting on a couch and, like, snorting This actually looks super familiar. This actually sounds super familiar, so there's definitely a chance I have seen this. Yeah, like, Jordana Brewster, like, snorts some fake ecstasy and like her Solid. face turns into bugs and it's very weird okay, I no i've not it's, seen this never mind it's fucked up um neil blomkamp who did uh like Chappie in district nine he did i guess a movie called zygote um which involves some people stranded in the arctic circle fleeing a monster made out of their former co-workers body parts and he was like yeah the thing was a pretty big deal in terms of that um it follows the guy who I did it i've follows. not seen that one either oh, see it follows Guillermo del Toro went on, like, a whole Twitter rant about how much he loves the thing. I'm not surprised by that in like, the slightest. every horror movie director loves this movie. And, yeah, basically. I just don't think we would have, like, the same body horror. No. And I, don't, just... I, I think it was huge in body horror and psychological horror. I think you're right. I was just watching this, and I was like, I don't know if I can name another movie that has, like, body horror like this one does that no. I watched. Yeah. I, I guess at the time, The Fly. Which is, I mean, also a man no longer being a man, if you think about it. That's true. That is true. And I mean, it's almost like you can sort of see it feeding into the same cycle where like this might have been influenced by the 1958 fly and then Cronenberg's fly could have been influenced by the body horror in this and the transformations and like, yeah. Just the whole horror community goes in circles and we all get inspired by each other and it's amazing. I say that as if I'm a horror auteur and I'm just... We're just out here having fun. I'm inspired by every single one of you horror creators out there. Yes. We love it. Keep it coming. On that note... On that note, yeah, we should probably wrap this up. Um, I'm just going to run you real quick through our sources for this episode. And then we'll go ahead and uh, tell you what our next week plan is. All right. So our sources for this one are a bloody disgusting.com article called From Instant Junk to Instant Classic, Critical Reception of the Thing by Zachary Paul. We have got a denofgeek.com article called John Carpenter's The Thing Had an Icy Critical Reception. Oh, I read that one too. By Ryan Lambie. We have got a Slant Magazine article called Take Two Number One, The Thing from Another World, 1951, and The Thing, 1982, by John Lingen. We've got an Atlantic article called What the Thing Loses by Adding Women by Noah Berlatsky. We've got a Vice.com article called After 35 Years, The Thing is Still Our Most Suffocating Horror Film by Patrick Marlborough. A Diabolique magazine article called Just Wait on the 35th Anniversary of John Carpenter's The Thing by Daniel Clarkson Fisher. Um, A post on the blog uh, nevalalee.wordpress.com called The Vision Thing, which is by Alec Nevalalee. Another bloody disgusting article, this one called John Carpenter's The Thing Turns 35 Today by Trace Thurman. And an article called Neil Blomkamp on creating the horrific creature in his latest short film, Zygote. Great. So, um, as you mentioned, this movie had really great special effects and awesome music. It did. Um, Unfortunately, I think our next movie is not going to have such great special effects. No, but it's going to be a fun, stupid time. Oh, my God. (laughs) Who doesn't love one of those? We are getting in the Christmas spirit, y'all. Yeah. um, I just have been wanting to see this movie ever since it haunted my childhood dreams after seeing... The uh, poster on the blockbuster Should movie box. Do. do you want to tell them first what it is going to be? And then I'll tell so, you. So, uh, yeah, we're going to go ahead and watch the holiday classic, 
Jack Frost. Should we do a Jack Frost versus Jack Frost? I think we should definitely watch both of them. Because I looked them up. They have like the same plot, but one is like a heartwarming family movie and one is a horror movie. And I like that because it's the same name and it's like basically the same idea. Man reincarnated as snowman. My only thing is I don't want to spend half an hour just rehashing the plot to the family movie. That's fair. But I okay. do think we should watch you both. You and me will watch both, and we will text each other about them. And we can definitely talk about... Yes, we won't do a full deep dive into yeah. Jack Frost, the family film. But I think we definitely need to watch it. the point of the podcast or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I want to keep you guys delivering straight horror and nothing else. I say two <laughs> or three weeks after we do bringing Beetlejuice. up baby. Also, wait, yeah, okay. You know what? Bring Up Baby is a classic. It's true. They talk I am so here fast. to get the words wrong to that song every single week. As long as Maggie keeps bringing it up on the podcast, I will keep singing that song and I will never get the words right. Perfect. All right, guys, um, that's going to be it for this week. So our next episode will be coming out on Christmas. Have a great Christmas. Uh, until then, take it easy. And we other love holidays. you. You, you yeah. have a great Christmas. Yeah, enjoy have the other Hanukkah. holidays, too. Have I'm a not... great Kwanzaa. Have, like... Enjoy all of the holidays as they come so rapidly in succession. Drink a little hot cocoa. Maybe some eggnog. We have almond yeah. eggnog at work for some reason. Throw but, like, some into rum it. in that bitch and just Probably go not at wild. Work. No, or, don't do that I mean, at work. Sneak a little bit of the eggnog out in a thermos and then add rum to it at home. I could just buy eggnog and bring it home. Yeah, I mean, you I could do that too. don't need to steal Whatever, almond it's eggnog fine. from work. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, stay warm. Uh, don't dig up aliens in the Antarctic and don't get possessed by an evil snowman. Or don't let a snowman be possessed by your evil self. I don't know. I don't know how Jack Frost works yet. Don't let an stay alien tuned. go into a snowman. And then kill everyone you love. I think we've lost the thread. Anyway, drive safe. <laughs> it's icy out there. Be good. We'll talk to you soon. Happy holidays. Love ya. Bye.